0: Thank you, Charles. I appreciate your enthusiasm and your joy that you bring to worship leading. I think that's a good thing, and I always appreciate his, uh, his pep and his zeal and his willingness to teach us new songs uh, and uh, to you know, remind us of the old ones that we know. He just does a great job, so I appreciate that very much. On Sunday nights, we were talking about this uh, idea of unswerving, and this comes from a verse in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, which said, says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Were you ever an expert on parenting? I used to be. That was long before I had children, (laughs) but I knew how to do it. Uh, And then I had one. (laughs) <laughs> and I uh, was humbled greatly, and so were you. And then you kind of got your you, wits about you, and you, you kind of felt like you knew what you were doing, and you decided you lived through that experience, and so you might try it again. And, and you, you have this arrogance about you. That I've got the first one down. We got this. And you, you, you try to apply the same principles parenting, uh, to the second child and the second child breaks all the rules and it's like you're starting over again. Now I, I, I was wise enough to stop too because <laughs> I don't want to play that game any longer. Brian, Kathy, <laughs> you don't know. They have uh, eight wonderful children, uh, all grown now. And, uh, Brian says in the first four, he and Kathy were were very good at it. They had parents or children that were very responsive. Uh, In fact, Brian says, and I think I can say this, uh, he says, I could have written a book on raising children. And then he said the next four came along. (laughs) And it was just a new, every child brought new personality, new gifts, new way of looking at things. and, And I just had to adjust as I went. I can tell you that because I asked Brian for a lot of parenting advice, or I have over the years. So there is this thing that happens when you get into more than one child in the two or plus category. (laughs) In what Bill Cosby calls the same thing happens every night. Father, I love you, but I can't go to bed without a beating. Um, it, it's th- this whole routine that he used to do, talking about how they would argue and fuss with each other and give, go back and forth and back and forth. And it would just drive him crazy. And I was thinking about that because kind of what we're talking about tonight. How is it that you get two children who, who in theory, are supposed to share the same DNA, and yet they cannot seem to get along? This, of course, has zero spiritual application. I remember being a very young Christian and and having a very idealized perception of what the church was. The early church home, my early church home was very encouraging to me. They they, uh, taught me scripture. They were gentle. They were patient. I liked going to church. Partly because it was, it was kind of a new thing. It wasn't we never went. We just can go all the time. But when I started going all the time, I was just like a thirsty person in the desert coming to an oasis. It was a wonderful thing. I love being at the church, a part of the church, worshiping the church. I love going to Bible class. Uh, I, I, I love doing church things. It wasn't a burden. I thought church was the most perfect place in the world. People didn't argue. They didn't fight. It was very different from what my experience up to that point in life had been in the world. Now, you all might have been there at one point, too. But you know and understand that eventually you start to see a different side of church. And and the longer I have been a Christian, the more I have I have had this, really? This is what we're arguing about? I mean, there's souls going to hell. You understand that? And we're sitting here fussing and arguing, bickering. And I got to think, God must have that feeling as a parent, as a father, looking down saying, hey, you guys are driving me crazy. Don't you get it? It came upon this, of course, it it came upon the Internet, the source of all imperfect gifts, I guess. Uh, (laughs) It may have existed before then, but how would we have known about it but for the Internet? Uh, This is actually a teen camp shirt, so you'll recognize this, right? But um, (laughs) the idea, it was this parenting trick. Uh, The parent, like me, frustrated, just completely losing their mind, And this frustrated mother said, ha, I have a solution. I'm going to force you to get along. And she she took her two children and she put them in one shirt. And she called it the get along shirt. Hilarious, went viral, lots of parents do it now. We've done it in our home. It's great. It's, It's a little bit psychological torture slash punishment. It's it works on a number of different levels. Granted, that can only work at a at a young age of a child. But it it just amuses me that as parents sometimes we get so out of ideas. How do we get our children to get along? Now again, this has zero spiritual application. This is nothing. You not trying to tell you anything. I've had the thought about, it would be kind of fun to have a get-along shirt just for churches. I have have a book, chapter, and verse for it, but I have this idea in mind that when we get up to heaven in eternity, that God's going to strategically place our mansions or our rooms or wherever we are. He's going to put us by the people we least got along with in this world. And he's going to make us stay there for the first billion years just for fun, just to mess with us. It's true, and it's kind of a sad truth, that of all the people that should get along the best, sometimes we don't set a very good example. And some of that has to do with personality. Some of that has to do with ego. Some of it has to do with spiritual maturity. We're going to talk about the last one tonight. This is what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 14, the weak and the strong. So I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14 because that's where we're going to be. Uh, This is my best stab at what Paul might call the get-along shirt. Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read the whole 23 verses. Paul says this, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One's person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The one who eats must not treat with contempt the one who does not. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us, catch this verse 7 here, none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Let instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. For I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to Peace and a mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat <clears throat> excuse me, wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause a brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. There's a lot of material in there. But I have gone back to Romans chapter 14 so many times in my spiritual life because I am convinced that it is God's get-along shirt. In churches of Christ, we have a fine history of arguing over silly things. And I can call them silly until I pick your issue. The devil has a fine platform of pitting one person, a brother in Christ, against another brother in Christ over a non-eternal issue. And God forgive us for people who we've turned away or lost or ignored over our opinions and egos and personalities. It is, in my opinion, something that grieves the Holy Spirit greatly to understand romans chapter 14 you have to know a little bit of background about the book a lot of theology in romans i was always taught that romans chapter 6 teaches a person how to become a christian and then romans chapter 12 teaches a person how to remain how to live as a christian Romans chapter 12 is, of course, covering the principles of Christian living. It's all based on the idea of becoming living sacrifices. That idea being, I'm going to lay myself down. And I tried to enunciate that, so you got it. It's laying myself down. Is when it comes to matters that caused division and difficulty and strife within the body 2,000 years ago or within the body of today, it most always, most assuredly comes down to a matter of the self. Romans chapter 13 goes beyond talking about (coughs) self-denial and he there talks about submitting to the authorities, submitting to those in authority and government. And he's just talking about this idea that there's there's people that are higher than you. And sometimes you don't like the decisions they make. As long as those decisions that they make don't go against God's will, your responsibility is to live peaceably under the governing authorities. That's easy to say until you get pulled over for a speed limit that you feel is unjust. So he's talking about living, sacrificing, Living sacrifices Denying yourself daily Submitting yourself to authority And then he breaks into Romans chapter 14 Paul so beautifully sets up this argument Not really an argument Just a case He says in this chapter There are two basic characters That we need to think about We're going to look at the first one The first is the strong Christian What are you calling strong there? Well My best definition of it is someone who is mature in Christ. That doesn't necessarily mean old in Christ. I have seen teenagers who have a very mature spiritual thinking and approach to their lives. They are mature. Sometimes it's life circumstances. Sometimes it's your own journey where you've been. Uh, but, for whatever reason, they hold the Word as preeminent they're They're uh, compelled to live not for themselves but for God. So again, mature, I don't want you to think, well, that's someone who's you know over the age of fifty. I've met eighty year olds who are spiritually immature. They've been to a lot of churches and been a part of a lot of worship. And it's like none of it soaked in. Now, that's not generally the case. I believe an honest, sincere, open-hearted person who submits themselves to the Word and to the working of the Spirit over time gets better. But there are some people who uh, insist on breaking the mold. In this particular chapter, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. Another way of describing that might be oil and water. And and we're starting a worldwide movement, going to start mixing these two groups of people who up to this point in history, since Abraham, have not been together. They got a whole different worldview, a whole different way of doing things. And for each group, the Jews... They have this problem with Christianity, their struggle is this. The strong Jewish people understand their freedoms in Christ. They understand that the old law, Genesis through Malachi, does no, uh, no longer applies to them. They're not bound by it anymore. They, don't, they aren't restricted by its rules and regulations. Okay. So they were, they were mature in Christ, they were free, they were not bound by the Mosaic law. What about the Gentiles? The Gentiles were, were people who had, not, who were not Jewish. They had most likely been converted out of paganism. They were used to seeing, uh, if they didn't believe in God, they more likely had offered to foreign gods and idols, and, and they just lived. That was just a part of their culture. And the problem for them was: could they eat meat? Could they, could they go into someone's home? Uh, and and eat partake of a meal that had been blessed by you know some different god. The the strong Gentiles were under were the ones that understood that idols nothing it's just a sculpture just a piece of wood. I can I, we're free to eat that meat it isn't nothing wrong with it. Okay those were the mature and free Jews and Gentiles that Paul was writing to. There's the weak Christian, uh, and I describe this person as a, someone who is immature in their thinking. Remember Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He was speaking there in 1 Corinthians 13 about spiritual gifts, and he was saying to the church at Corinth, you guys, I got the, you missed the point on what all this is about. But those things are going to pass away, and then the only spiritual gift you'll have left is love. And if you miss that, you missed it. So the the immature, again, in their thinking, not necessarily immature, young, uh, but they just they're hung up. They can't get past something. They got an issue. They got a thing. You've met these people. And you mention the word or the issue or the hobby horse or whatever, and all of a sudden uh, they're having a conversation between, you know, it's them and a corner and you're stuck in the middle and nowhere to run to. They're hung up. They can't get past it. So for the Jewish people, these were the Jews that were having a hard time really accepting that they were released from the laws and the customs, the, the Jewish diet. The clean and the unclean foods. You mean I can eat bacon? Yeah. You're kidding me. My whole life I've been given this list of clean and unclean. Uh, going, uh, observing the Sabbath. Temple, you know, participating in, in the worship of the temple. So they had a hard time understanding that they were not bound by these things anymore. And then the immature Gentiles were those Gentiles who had been troubled. They had seen the pagan influence, and they couldn't get past it. And somebody set that plate of meat before them that had been offered to this, to to not the God that they knew, not offered to Christ, not blessed in his name. And they're looking at it going, I can't do that. I'm violating my conscience. Now, here's where it gets fun. (laughs) You put all these people together, you have a potluck. And this was the first century church. And Paul's writing the church at Rome, but these, these issues permeated throughout the brotherhood. And the, the problem is how do we get along? What's a brother to do? What's a sister to do? I'm, I'm so glad we've moved past arguments and divisions in the church today. We don't have these problems to worry about. So you re- re- read Romans 14 and say, well, that just applied to them. We're going to talk about how do we get along. I look at Coach Allen over here. He's a great coach. Uh, he just has that spirit and that gift of taking a bunch of individuals and making them work like a team. And that's no easy task. You're getting each individual to stop thinking of themselves and instead start working as a team. I'm not sure if it's biblical or not, but I think we ought to start calling shepherds coaches. Because I think elders have the same job. they got to get a bunch of individuals to stop thinking like individuals and start acting like a team. Good shepherds do that well. Elders come together to meet, and they talk about any issue all the men around the table are thinking about. All the individuals that come and talk to them will let them know their opinion about this or that, about the elders do this or the elders do that. Well, they're thinking about individuals. And I think Northside does this well, and I hope we continue to do it well. We don't, we don't worry as much about individuals. What we worry about is the team. What we want is everybody to get along together and work together for the common goal. So instead of working against each other, we got to work together. So in Romans 14, <clears throat> Paul gives some solutions to these two people. Okay? He gives solutions to the, strong, to the strong Christians and to the weak Christians. We're going to go through them, and then I'll, I'll give you some other thoughts as well. For the strong, what a, what is a person who's mature in Christ and who has been a Christian long enough to understand that there's going to be times when we don't get along. How do we work it out? How do we act like a team? Turn to Romans 15. The first one is accept them. Romans chapter 15, start in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear <clears throat> with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves each of us should not please our should please our neighbors for their good to build them up for even in Christ, even Christ did not please himself but as it is written the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me <clears throat> for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragement taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind, with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. I think one of the first responsibilities... Of the older brothers or the older sisters in Christ, and again I'm using that not to your physical age or even your spiritual age, but more of your maturing age, is you've got to be willing to accept people who are younger than you. One of the great challenges of moving from youth ministry to preaching ministry is this. When I was doing youth ministry, I was always dealing with zero to six-year-olds, spiritually speaking. No offense. They were they were either not a Christian, a brand new Christian, or at most six years old in Christ. That's a very limited window. In this room, and in ministry in general, I'm dealing with a much broader scope. Every single time I get up to teach, I've got to think about, there's, there's a person here who's been going to church nearly all of their life, What am I going to say? How am I going to say that that impacts their heart to the glory of God? There's a person here in the same room that has never, ever been to church. This is their first time. No pressure. If you're mature, you really have an obligation, uh, far more than the immature, to stop thinking about yourself. You got to realize that you didn't get to be mature because you started at being mature. Someone else was patient with you, right? Someone else waited on you, someone else explained to you, someone else walked beside you. And that's how you got to be mature. And those who are immature in Christ will never get mature unless they have someone who's patient with them, who will accept them, who will walk with them, who will walk beside them, who doesn't give up on them. Yes, Jesus does all those things. But the church has this purpose in mind as well, that we've got to help one another. Oh, man. There's not enough time to tell all the stories of dumb Toby things Toby has done. I look back and I think, man, how did. Do they even know? They do. They do. And they're patient with me so that I'll be patient with someone else. Secondly, don't condemn them. And con- condemning is the sense of, he says here, without passing judgment. The Greek word there means to condemn. In other words, mentally you say, ah, that guy's just a whatever, fill in the blank. I'm going to write him off. I can't convince him. I can't convince her. I can't do anything about it. This is probably why labels are some of the most dangerous things in the world. I hate it. I hate that. I don't care what your label is, liberal or conservative or whatever it is. A label simply says, especially applied to a person, Here's a label. There it is. Now, I don't have to think with, about that person anymore. I really just have to know that that's what they are. I don't have to take the hard work that it takes to, to walk with a person and be patient with a person and help them to grow up in Christ. So don't label people. Don't write them off. They may be that, or they may just be immature, and they may just need time and love and someone to walk with. Strong people tend to see weak people as legalistic and narrow-minded. Weak people tend to see strong people as liberal and irresponsible. And I'm just telling you, stop with the labeling. The goal here is to help each other grow up. There's a famous Abraham Lincoln quote. There's a lot of them on the internet. I'm not sure he said all of them, but this one I'm pretty sure is true. He said um, it was during the time of the Civil War, and someone was complaining that he was meeting with uh, one of the Confederate generals or something, and they had struck up a friendship. And he he said, "Have I not beaten my enemy by making him my friend? If I haven't, haven't I converted him? Is what I'm saying?" Haven't I brought them over to my way of thinking? And you have a problem with that? No, instead we would say, so I'm going to put them in this camp, I'm going to put them in that camp. This church is this way, this church is that way. We don't associate with these churches, we associate with that church. That's just the wrong way to go about it. That's not how you're going to mature, and it's certainly not how you're going to help others mature in Christ. Number three, be patient. We talked about this a little bit, but Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, is a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm convinced one of the greatest callings of Christians that are in the church is to help their brothers and sisters in Christ and work together together. So that we all get home together. That we all arrive to eternity safely. I don't want to be on that distant shore with a, a, a regret about a brother or sister especially who didn't show up. Be patient. Be tolerant. Not of sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be tolerant of immaturity. Help them. If you have children, I would imagine you're fairly tolerant of your children. Are they fully mature yet? No, that's why they're children. You hope they will get to be adults someday. But they're not going to get there if you write them off. I know it's tempting. Someone was patient with you. You've got to be patient with others. Number four, remember who they are. Paul says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Think about that. That, that's That's really deep right there. He's saying, you look at that brother or sister you don't get along with. If they're a Christian, they serve the same Lord you do. And he has a different purpose and a plan for him than he may have for you. That's, that's, you're not that person's master. Only Christ is their master. You don't get to judge another servant. You only get to work alongside a fellow servant. That person, that brother or sister, they will answer to Christ. They're not going to answer to you on judgment day. And if that's the attitude you have on Judgment Day, by the way, I think you got the wrong idea. If you're thinking, boy, I'm going to sit back and watch these guys get toasted, oh heaven forbid. I mean, I'm really, you know, I'm going to stand there in line going, man, whew, I hope this grace stuff is real. Because if it's not, I ain't getting in. We will all bow our knee to his name. We are not in a place to judge someone else's servant. Number five, be careful. You don't, don't act carelessly. Just because you're mature enough and you're thinking because you have freedom, you know you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. Because you got other people who that might, that might really bother them, might cause them to lose their faith in Christ. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Listen to what he says. All food is clean. But it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. He says, you, you list all. This is Paul now. This is Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the list of foods. And he said, it's all okay, guys. Except, except if your brother or sister has a problem with it. If it's going to cause them to sin, you don't touch it. Not because it's wrong, but because you're watching out for your brother or your sister. Pay attention. Be careful. Now for the weak. One is, you can't violate your conscience. I I put this quote on here by Charles Spurgeon. I, I love a lot of his stuff. I don't agree with him 100%, nor do I with anyone. But he writes, the weak Christian is as much a child of God as the strong one. That, let's see, what's the most recent baptism? Was it yours? I think it was. The Campbell daughter, she came up here uh, Wednesday night before services. How old is she? Eleven. Eleven years old. And she's just as important to God. Has someone, I'm not going to ask, but let's assume we have someone that's been a Christian 50, 60 years, 70. They're just on equal playing fields. So we've got, we got to watch out for our weak ones. We've got to help them grow and mature because we all know, especially those of us who are mature, that they have a long way to go. It's a marathon. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For for Christ's sake, I delight, delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that sounds like a paradox, but what he's saying there is true. If you're a weak Christian, and by weak I don't just mean physically weak or Spiritually weak, but immature, young, unexperienced. Um, As you go along, you're going to have some issues of conscience. And if it violates your conscience, don't do it. Secondly, don't overextend your faith. If you don't have peace with God about the issue or about doing something, then don't do it. Paul says don't violate your conscience and don't violate your faith. But third. Don't burden others. Now, these are for those who are grown up and they've got those hang-ups, those, hang those one-issue kind of people. Don't, don't burden other people with your yokes. It may be your burden to carry. It may be something that you have not worked through yet. But don't try to saddle other people with that yoke. You have a responsibility to your other brothers and sisters in Christ to realize... Not everyone has your boundaries. Not everyone has your background. Not everyone has your story. In both cases, seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. Or as James would say, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, between these two slides, who has the greater responsibility? The strong or the weak? Who has more responsibility? The strong. We got to watch out for the weak. The strong has a greater responsibility, and both of them must work together. We'll finish with this. We got to make every effort to work together. I was reminded of the story of where Paul mentions in Philippians four, Yodia and Syntiki or Syntek. Um, I love that that's in the Bible because. It's, a, it's such a unique example of Christians not getting along with one another. I plead with Yodia and plead with them to, to, get, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, I, I don't even, he didn't even tell us what the issue is per se. But he, he says, Hey, your names that are you know, these two sisters aren't getting along, and this fellow that's helping them along in the cause of the gospel, all your names are written in the book of life. So we gotta work together. Romans chapter twelve, verse eighteen says this If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now there are gonna be times I understand when you have an issue with a brother or sister. And they just won't drop it, they just want to hold on to it, they, they won't let it go, they won't forgive, they won't talk to you, etc. And I give you an out, I, I give you an excuse to, that you've done everything, if, in fact, you've done everything. If you have made every effort, then you get a pass. But if you haven't prayed for them, if you haven't sought reconciliation, if you haven't tried to work through it, um, then you don't get a pass. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Sometimes you do the very very best you can, and the situation is no better. And the only thing I do with those situations just this personal here. I'll just pray to God and say, God, I think I've done everything I know how to do. If there's something else I'm not seeing, give me wisdom. Give me a conversation. Lead me to someone who will show me what else I need to do. Otherwise, I'm being at peace with this. Number two, do everything in love. First Corinthians sixteen, verse thirteen says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Verse fourteen, do everything in love. I think that would solve ninety nine point nine, add another hundred nine percent of problems that we have in the church. We at some point we stop loving, we stop seeing them as our brother or sister in Christ. First John chapter four, verse 20 says this. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. The kingdom is so, so, so much bigger than your issues and I'm not talking here. These are, again, these are non-essential issues. These are the, the, the not addressed in Scripture kind of things. These are things where God gives us the essentials, and then we're trying to work out on the non-essentials how to do it. The kingdom is so much bigger than all of the non-essentials. The essentials we'll stand firm on all day long. But the non-essentials, we got to work together on in love. And Paul says the essentials are this, righteousness, peace, peace. And joy. I like that list. I think that's a pretty good list. Finally, we've got to keep the focus on God's work. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I know we're running long, but... Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His Pay attention here. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when I read that verse, I used to like to think of just me. Oh, I'm God's masterpiece. I'm God's. I'm God's workmanship. That's beautiful. That's a wonder. That'll preach. But I want you to think of that verse in terms of your everyone else but you. Now, this is the look around the room time. These people are all his workmanship too, his masterpiece as well. And we have to keep the focus that God's still working in them, and he's still working in us, and we got to work together. Thank you for your patience and your kindness tonight. As I do every lesson, I like to end with an invitation uh, to those who may not know Christ uh, that, that the greatest opportunity in the world to serve him and to know him is within his body, the church. We are not perfect. <laughs> We got, we got, um, we're human, but the good news is we are his masterpiece, we're his workmanship, and he hasn't completed any of us yet. But if you're not in Christ, he hasn't started working on you because you haven't led him. So if you're ready to let him, please meet me down front as together we stand and sing.